Good afternoon, good evening. <clears throat> My name is Herb, I'm an alcoholic. Welcome to our big book 12-step workshop on Zoom. This call is being recorded. Please join me in the set-aside prayer. <clears throat> God, please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, my brokenness, the 12 steps, and you. For an open mind and a new experience of myself, my brokenness, the 12 steps, and especially you. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. We're now at the conclusion of step two. We've taken a deep look at, hopefully had an experience with step one, Understanding is really good, but having an experience of no choice, both with regard to our addiction and with regard to our managing our lives and reality itself, having an experience of that is more important so that it sets you up with an internal energy, an internal desperation an internal sense of darkness and hopelessness on your own power, which is then the launching pad for the pursuit of power. That's really what this is, step two. We're seeking power. We're not sure maybe at the beginning of that journey, what power we're looking for, what we do know is that we don't have sufficient power based on our history of exploring, whether that be religion or self-help, human development, psychology, therapy, a variety of human resources, even the 12-step program may have failed to provide what you're looking for as freedom. Freedom from addiction, certainly at a minimum, we've come to understand that, that's a minimum. But freedom from our unmanageability, those bedevilments, that self-centeredness, which is the root, the source of the problem, the spiritual malady. And there's several questions that were asked as we began our journey looking for power. The big book suggests right at the beginning where and how are we going to find that power on page 45. But I asked you even a pre more preliminary question for you to ask yourself. What do you believe and then how do you act? so that perhaps your prejudice that you didn't know that you had could be cracked open. 
the old ideas and experience that you've held on to with a death grip because you really thought they were true, perhaps began to disintegrate as you looked at your behavior contrasting what you thought or felt or believed in light of now how you behave. It's a challenging confrontation. It's meant to be. And Bill suggests on page 47, an additional question. Do you believe now? But he has a fallback position. Are you willing to believe? And that's the key, he said. The, 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 it's the cornerstone to building this arch through which we walk to a new freedom. Willingness. Just that tenuous, remote response to the invitation to have a set-aside attitude expressed perhaps in a set-aside prayer. Not knowing what is even being set aside, but willing to be taken to a place that you can't control, that you don't know exists, and you don't know what the impact of it will be. Lots of ambiguity. That's the whole journey into the spiritual life by nature. Not precise, not scientific, not based on knowledge, not based on feeling. When we came to page 53 in the big book where Bill says it's based on decision. God is or God isn't. What is your choice? And again, he asks us to confront ourselves with the question of faith, which we did. And if you followed the model and diagram that I used to come to grips with what is faith at the invitation of that confrontation that Bill suggests on page 53, you saw that faith is the decision. Bill says there, the question, God is or God isn't, what is your choice? Oh, it's got no uh, <clears throat> substance to it. It's not a formula that you can just be logical with. Or even intuitive. It's a bold but empty decision. God is. Well, power is, if you don't like the word G-O-D. Or mystery is. Or energy or nature. Or the universe. You choose your words. The book doesn't have an investment in your adopting any dogma. There is no dogma. <clears throat> There's only the suggestion that you come to grips with it and make up your mind. God is or God isn't, what is your choice? He talks about reason here. It's brought us a long way so far. The assignments have been reasonable. The process and the words have been reasonable. 
mostly understandable, mostly doable. But here it stops at the edge of a chasm, which we're asked to leap into without any assurance that there is a footpath. On page 54, Bill encourages us with some emotion and some poetry, especially his respect for feelings Are not these feelings the tissue out of which our lives were constructed? A tremendous respect, especially for us as addicts, dominated by our feelings of feeling good. Did not these feelings, after all, determine the course of our existence? And we see the truth of that. And it's a good thing, generally, in terms of emotions, our signals that tell us about danger to avoid or about positive resources to embrace. Our feelings are critical to our survival. Unfortunately, addicts of all kinds have developed a habit of allowing their feelings to manage their thinking and then their behavior. Short-term gain with the ability to put up with long-term pain. And we're entering into a phase where it's just, just the truth is going to be just the opposite. Short-term pain for long-term gain, especially if you've done any work in steps four through nine, you know the truth of that. Short-term, I don't mean today or a weekend or even a week or a month. Short-term, might be many months. In some cases, many of you have, have spent years doing inventory without completing it. Did not these feelings determine the course of our existence? Yes, absolutely. And the whole process of steps four through nine are to identify those feelings and how they manifest in our life so that we can manage them in steps 10, 11, and 12. Emotional sobriety is as simple as that. Self-regulation, conscious management of our instincts from our body and our feelings from our limbic system. Emotional sobriety is that simple. Self-regulation, conscious management of our feelings and our behavior. That's steps 10, 11, and 12. He does a little bit of science and he does a little bit of salesmanship. But on page 55, he answers the two questions that were asked on page 45. Where and how do we find that power? He says, we had to search fearlessly. I'm in the middle of the page on page 55. Oh, that's the answer to how. Search fearlessly. We're seekers. And we're ready to manage our fears as we move forward into what appears to be the darkness of faith. But what's our alternative? As he said, we're at the fork in the road in a different place earlier. To go on to the bitter end or to find freedom. This is where we're at here. 
Steps two and three are the fork in the road. A decision to go right or a decision to go left, a decision to continue into the darkness or a decision to begin to pursue the light. Search fearlessly. We found the great reality, capital G, capital R. A wonderful synonym for this higher power, God as we don't understand it. And then he says, deep down within us, oh, that's the answer to the other question. Where? How? Search fearlessly. Where? Deep within ourselves. And in fact, he says, after you've done all the prayer and all the reflection and all the meditation and all the reading and all the thinking and all the talking, this last sentence here in that paragraph, in the last analysis, it is only there deep down inside that God can be found. Now, this is such an important concept that Bill repeats it, meaning he says it twice, which is very unlike Bill, in fact, he was challenged, I heard a discussion with him on recording. He was challenged with regard to step six and seven, character defects and shortcomings and what's the difference? And he just laughed. He said, there's no difference. I was taught in English, basic English, that I don't use the same word in consecutive sentences. Well, that's the approach he gave in his literary style to the big book. There's only twice where he is totally redundant here, and we'll see it again in step four. Redundant in the sense of the same idea, not in the same words. He uses different words to communicate the same idea. It's that important. This next paragraph repeats what he just gave us in this paragraph I just unpacked. We can only clear the ground a bit, page 55. If our testimony sweeps away prejudice, again, Bill, resonates with our approach of setting aside, open mind, open heart. Our testimony, mean our witness to our own experience, helps sweep away prejudice, that is prior ideas, prior experience, prior knowledge, prior barriers, prior resistance enables you to think honestly. Oh, again, he tells us how. Search diligently above, excuse me, search fearlessly above, think honestly here, and then he amplifies the searching part, encourages you to search diligently within yourself. Again, where? You can join us on the broad highway. Just a wonderful metaphor capital B, capital H. I'm reminded of the promises on page 75 at the end of step five. We feel we are on the broad highway, capital B, capital H, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. What a great metaphor. What a great poetry. Walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. That companionship, that co-creation concept, God and me, power and me.
God won't do it, but can on God's own. I can't do it on my own. It's that co-creation, that partnership that we establish in terms of our willingness to take action and God's grace, which is a gift. We can't earn it. We can't lose it. Again, a paradox and a mystery that I can't explain. I can merely observe and talk about from my own understanding and from my own experience. We feel we are on the broad highway. There's no place to go. God is or God isn't. God is everything or God is nothing. If there is God, God is everywhere. We're on the broad highway, capital B, capital H. The journey is the destination, a phrase that I developed in my book on meditation. The journey is the destination. Back to page 55, he says, with this attitude, you cannot fail. Okay, I'm a big book literalist. What attitude? So I have to take an, a, a look at those two paragraphs again and go, oh, search fearlessly, search diligently, think honestly must be the attitude he's referring to. Well, what's an attitude? I looked it up in the dictionary and it says a stance, a way of looking at things, a way of facing things. Attitude, and you've heard it before in a different context, he or she has attitude. It's not a compliment. It's a way of looking at things that's being criticized, actually. But then I came across some vocabulary in the nautical world. I'm not familiar with the nautical world. I don't do sailing, and I don't study sailing, but I'm familiar with the word attitude in the sailing vocabulary where it's the position of the mast in a sailboat that allows the sail to catch the wind, to empower the boat forward. What a great image that is, actually. I hope he had that when he used the word attitude. The position of the mast allows the sail to catch the wind. Spirit comes from the Greek word spiros, which means breath, wind. To catch the breath of God, to empower us forward. Our attitude, our stance, our perspective, allowing ourselves to be empowered if we have the right attitude. And I believe that's that open-mindedness and the willingness. He gives us the example of a person who had a similar spiritual experience as he did. If there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me is it possible that all the religious people are wrong? Pondering this question in deep depression, I know this from other readings, this man had a voice or a sound in him that he, that he interpreted as, 
who are you to say there is no God? And it was such a thunderous experience for him, not in his ears, but in his very marrow of his bones that he fell onto the floor on his knees. Very much like Bill's a story of the spiritual experience, that mountaintop. He was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away, that prejudice. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. Actually, if you look at it from a particular perspective, he hadn't stepped from the bridge to the shore at all. He was carried from the bridge to the shore by this experience. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. Again, he refers to the cornerstone. No later challenge, no later circumstance, vicissitude, a very fancy word for circumstance. had shaken his relationship with this power. And in fact, he goes so far in page 57 to say something that's worded in a bit of an awkward language, but it really needs to be unpacked. Seemingly, he could not drink even if he would. God had restored his sanity, came to believe in a power other than ourselves that would restore us to sanity. That's step two. Bill is acknowledging that at the end of this chapter. He said, God has restored this person's sanity. It doesn't mean psychiatric and psychological, as I've said repeatedly, since we looked at Jim's story, the fellow who put a little whiskey in his milk, we saw on page 37 that Bill defines insanity a lack of healthy thinking, a lack of perspective. So what he's saying here is he's been given a spiritual shield that protects him from the obsession. Seemingly, he could not drink even if he would. What does that mean in plain English? He's lost the power of choice. He cannot choose not to drink. He cannot choose to drink. He's lost the power of choice. What that means for me sitting here right now today, as long as I'm spiritually fit, I cannot choose to drink. And you hear it all the time in, in meetings for a discussion of relapse. Oh, I chose to drink after five years or five months. Yeah, not really. Not if the book is correct and not if step one is correct. You've either lost the power of choice or you haven't. Seemingly, he could not drink even if he would. Bill's not being black and white about it. He's just making a suggestion for consideration here. He calls it a miracle of healing. Circumstances made him willing to believe. Step one in that experience. He humbly offered himself to his maker, and then he knew, came to believe. One of my teachers I've mentioned, Richard Rohr, indicates that faith is the the 
decision that has no evidence. Faith is the acceptance of something without any evidence. And once we accept it, the evidence appears. It's brilliant. I cannot see it going forward. I cannot see it in my present circumstance. I can only see it after I make the decision and take the action and operate that way for a while and then look back over my shoulder and I go, wow, looks like it might be true. God restored to us all to our right minds, that sanity, sanus, health. The revelation was sudden for this man, spiritual experience. Most of us grow into it more slowly, spiritual awakening. We know that from Appendix 2, the description of both of those, spiritual awakening, spiritual experience, what they are and how they are the same and how they are different. Just a time period difference. One is sudden and immediate. The other is very slow over a long period of time. Most of us have the spiritual awakening, very gradual. But speaking of Appendix 2, he says they're unsuspected inner resource. Beautiful phrase, worthy of some meditation, unsuspected. I was 10 years sober doing this work with this assignment. And I was confronted by my agnosticism. I had been given the invitation to change my attitude to have an open mind and an open heart that set aside. I was given a new experience with spiritual malady, unmanageability, the bedevilments, which really set me up to ask that question, what do I believe? And then to confront that answer with another question, how do I behave? And then as I went through this chapter three different times with three different questions, like you've been invited to, I was able to come to the end of the chapter realizing my agnosticism and making a decision that there was a power that I knew nothing about. And that all my vocabulary and understanding up to that point was the very impediment to my relationship with this mystery. God has come to all who have honestly sought. Notice the promise, but also the condition. the final promise with condition at the end. When we drew near to God, God discloses God's self to us. Came to believe. I ask you to take a look at Bill's story. The final part of it, after he meets Ebby, of course he gets willing to go into a hospital for the third time, December 11th, 1934. And he was drunk, page nine. On page 10, he's, um, he's not going to the hospital yet. He's just talking with Ebby at his home that night, but he's open and he's listening to it. I became irritated and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. And yet on the next page, he shows he was looking at his own doubt. 
He was becoming open. He was seeing in Ebi the witness to the power of what Ebi had talked about. So even though he didn't believe, he saw that Ebi's belief and his action had created a stunning change in Ebi over the last two months. He says he had been raised from the dead. Here sat a miracle, he said. On page 12, it was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required to make a beginning. Growth could start from that point, a foundation of complete willingness. So now he's telling his story, which tells us how he came to create the steps in the same way we've already looked at steps one and two in chapter four. On page 13, Ebby takes Bill through the steps. Those are the Oxford group steps, those six steps that we've referred to before. This is his second day of hospitalization. He's not even fully detoxed yet. He was drunk the day before, but Ebby took him through the steps. Obviously, he didn't take him through the ninth step by our equivalency because Bill was in the hospital, but Bill says he was willing to do that when he got out. And on page 14, the very next day, I believe December 13th, Bill had a powerful spiritual experience, a revolutionary experience. The effect was electric, a sense of victory, peace, and serenity. I felt I was lifted up as though a great clean wind of a mountaintop blew through and through. The room was filled with light. I've read this in another area. It lasted about 20 minutes, and he knew at the end of that experience two things. He knew for certain. Number one, his alcohol problem had been permanently removed. And number two, that his life's destiny was to help other people deal with their alcoholism by having a spiritual awakening. Amazing. It turned out to be true. But not for a long time did he begin to have an experience of anybody getting sober six months before he met Dr. Bob. Up to that point, nobody that he ever talked to got sober. He says at the top, simple but not easy, a price has to be paid. It meant the destruction of self-centeredness. See, there's the spiritual malady. There's the unmanageability. I must turn. That's, that's turning from the self-centeredness to other-centeredness. The commitment of step three that we'll be looking at next week is a commitment to turn. Step one is a confirmation of our self-centeredness, the problem, the source of the problem. Step two is that there is a solution, a power other than ourself that is deep down inside of myself. And step three is a decision to turn, to have a relationship. My experience is I made the decision to turn, but the reality is my experience was I was turned. Here's the difference. 
That's that spiritual awakening. I must turn in all things to the Father of Light who presides over us all. A wonderful recap of steps one through 10. And then at the bottom, page 14, we've already looked at it in Jim's story because it tells us about perfect and enlarge our spiritual life. What does it mean? Which is the other part of the antidote of the turning from self-centeredness to other-centeredness. On page 14 on the top, the other-centeredness has a capital O in my vocabulary, a relationship with power. And at the bottom, it's about our turning to help other people, a relationship with other, with a small O, the community of humanity. Helping other alcoholics, page 15 was the antidote to his own depression, he says in the middle of that paragraph. And on page 16, he talks about faith, that is that decision about power, has to work 24 hours a day in and through us or we perish. And what he's talking about is not only our relationship with other with the capital O in meditation for guidance, but our relationship to others in our carrying that message to helping other people, expanding our spirit and our spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. Faith, as he was guided by the letter to James in the, in the Christian scripture, faith without works is dead. Faith without action has no meaning, it's empty. Step 11 and 12 is what I see as a spiritual coin. One coin having two sides, step 11 and step 12. More about that later. And the final invitation of the assignment was to Make a decision about the attributes and the qualities that you need and want God, God to have and be. To make a decision. At this time in your journey, what do you need and want in terms of a relationship with power or God? Energy or nature. Some power other than yourself. Most of us use a word or a two or a phrase that we adopt at this point, knowing that it will change as we do. For next week, we can begin looking at assignment nine. Just the first two items. The first item is some, is some dictionary work. The second item is the reading of the material, 58 to 63. Some parts of it we've already looked at when we did unmanageability, but we'll take another look at it from this perspective. I'm asking you to read and highlight that 50, 58 to 63, but we'll only unpack 58 to 60 next week. Quite a, quite a uh, distilled 
and dense amount of instruction in that material. Have as the question for yourself as you're doing these assignments over the next three weeks. What does my heart yearn for? What does my soul yearn for in a relationship? I love the word yearn. It's not in the big book, but it brings us, I believe, to a deeper level of appreciation of step three. I just kind of wanted to mention to you that um, this teaching on, on step two has been amazing for me. Um, you know, when you ask us the first question, what do I believe? I was, you know, very easily, it was, it was, I could say to myself and, and really mean it that I believe in God. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit guides me and helps me and teaches me. And to the deepest part of my heart and soul, Herb, I would say that I really meant those things, believed it. Cause I've, that's what I've talked about and prayed about my entire uh, length of sobriety. But then you ask the second question, how do I behave? And you led us back to the, uh, I guess what I would call the manifestation of the bedevilments in my life. And there's no denying, you know, what was going on with me. It, you know, I don't have a problem with admitting that Herb, I really don't. But the part for me is that, and I wanted to ask you, because I've heard you say that, you know, you were in the seminary and you believed in God and you did all those things, but that you thought you were pretty much a practical agnostic, which I can see that in myself too. But if you look back on it, I mean, did you believe, or, I mean, how did you, how, how did you reconcile that in the end, Herb? I have a phrase that attempts to capture my experience and you've heard me say it before i didn't know that i didn't know mm -hmm. i lived as if i thought i knew yes and it was at this level uh -huh. once i had embraced sobriety and then the step work and then the set aside prayer i was able to penetrate deeper into my ignorance mm -hmm. by um my my not knowing. And so it's, it's an evolutionary process that uh, I, I do believe that part of the reason that I left the monastery is I didn't find what I was looking for, which was authentic spirituality. Now, mm -hmm. it's not the fault of the monastery or of the Catholic tradition, not at all. Mm -hmm. It was just I, I couldn't process any more than I was able to process or see what I was able to see until I had more maturity, more information, more suffering, more action, more authentic direction. That's why I'm so in love with this methodology of the 12 steps, because it takes us there in a very precise, almost formula, formula way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I thank you for that, Herb. And you know, I, I am so um, bought into it. And I like what you say about uh, being turned and yeah. that the set aside prayer 
coming true in our in in my life in this case here. But you know, I looked at it, Herb. You know, when I was going back through and marking things uh, in my book with maybe things that I had a problem with or that maybe the doubt that I had. You know, I never ever thought that I had a problem with any of that writing in the big book. I pretty much felt like, yeah, that's me. I get it. I can, I can go with that. But when I look back on it, it's so obvious to me now, Herb, that like, first of all, with powerlessness, I never got that. I really didn't. You know, I look back and I think I kind of struggled with that a little bit thinking, what do you mean I don't have power? And the other part of it is that I struggled with, you know, giving my life to a power greater than me. It just, I, I could say the words and I could say I believe, but I just don't think I was there trusting in that. You know, my, my belief in God has always been strong, Herb, but I think deep down inside, I thought that um, when I get there, when I get to that place at the end of life that God was going to say to me, I'm sorry, I never knew you. Wow. You know, so, you know, and I can kind of smile about it now, but having gone through this work with you and that has been amazing with me. And um, I'm so open to it and so thankful for it. Uh, I'm just, you know, eager to go forward. I heard one of the... Uh, uh, participants last week, I was listening to the, uh, the workshop and someone was talking about after so many years of sobriety, they weren't, weren't really sure who they were, or who they had been for that part of their life. And, you know, that's what I kind of feel like now, you know, just like living in a delusion, you know, believing something that wasn't true. Uh, you know, Richard Rohr talks so much about the false self. Right. And how you come to a place where that starts to shed itself. So I'm really grateful for it and thankful, Herb, uh, you know, ready to go to step three. Thank you. Yeah. And, and that's why also in confirming both of our comments is the dimmer switch metaphor is so appropriate because you did the best you could. And it was good enough at the time with the light that you had. Yeah. And now you're in a process where you're leaning into the dimmer switch and the lights are becoming just a little bit brighter and you're able to see more. Absolutely, Herb. Yeah. You know what? I never thought in all those years of sobriety, Herb, I never once thought in my all those years that I did not like sobriety. Right. I, you know, I loved it and I love every part of the program, but right. it, it's a whole new world now. I mean, you're opening up my yeah. eyes and my heart to things that I've just, I've never been to these places, Herb, and thank you for that. Well, you're welcome and buckle up because there's more. <laughs> okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. In relationship to step two specifically, um, you know, I, I didn't know, I, I didn't think I was agnostic at all. Now I see where that is in my life. Um, and I'm like, okay, I get that. Okay. You know, and for a minute I panicked because then I says, I'm going to hell now. <laughs> I'm agnostic. And I says, well, wait a minute. No, you're not going to hell because you're the last one to find out. Your higher power always knew. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So that, that was good for about a week. <laughs> and you know, then we had to write down these questions, you know, what the qualities we wanted. And as I wrote down those qualities, I saw the thing when I wrote them down, I wrote down about 11 items. And as I was going through that, I was saying, this sounds like me. These are things that I wanted to see in me. 
you know? And so that's where I am right now, but I feel more unsteady now in some ways because I'm looking at things and seeing things about myself. I just don't want to embrace as the reality that, that I have some agnostic, deeper agnostic thoughts and feelings. And I don't really know what to do with that uh, other than just say it's there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I guess adopt the attitude that you don't have to do anything right now other than be conscious of what you're seeing mm -hmm. and not resist it, but not that you don't have to embrace it until, in fact, it embraces you. Mm. And I, I really mean that. Be very gentle and just to be open and if there's uh, some discomfort, just hold it, lean into it, watch it until it resolves itself. Cause I do believe it will. Okay. And if you're having this kind of experience now, you better get shoulder straps because uh, when we get into step four, you're gonna have a mind blowing experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I, and, and I guess that's part of, I, I, I'm tr trying not to think ahead. I've done step four a couple of times before, yeah. but I know this time is going to be different. Maybe. I, I, well, I, I think it will. I think it will. I'm pretty confident it will be. Yeah. 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 I know a whole lot more going in this time. Yeah. I'm more aware of myself. I'll put it that way. Well, that's it. That's it. And you're at a different level of consciousness now than you were the last time you did step four. So the good news is that you will see more. Yeah. And the bad news is you will see more. <laughs>
but not so sure I can rely on that. So I better take care of it in the meantime. <laughs> so that tends to be my behavior. Yeah. Um, which doesn't, of course, work because that's all, uh, you know, this delusion of control um, based on, you know, kind of we talked about in the past, based on a, a chaotic childhood, right? right? Young parents, chaos, childhood tragedy, right. message that it's not safe. You better make it so yourself. Yeah. Um, and just spending my spiritual journey getting over that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the two words that you mentioned, I think, are words I'd like to highlight. And one was power, of course, because we're coming out of step one, where we are clear that we're seeking power that will be the answer to our powerlessness. But as we look at step three, we already know, most of us are familiar with the step, that the, one of the key words there is care, that it's a caring power. And that's a relationship then. If it is a caring power, can I have a relationship that's meaningful and, and reliable? That's a wonderful word on your part, yeah. Uh, so that I can count on it, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think exploring what Bill said, God is or God isn't, which is black and white, but then his conclusion, God, if there is a God, God is everything, that has implications that would give a tremendous adrenaline shot to what you just talked about in terms of the presence and or availability and or the reliability of it. Yeah. If God truly is everything, then there is no place that it is not. Interesting thought. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I've taken the second step and in going through this exercise and defining or, you know, given my God attributes, um, it was, it was hard to give, um, God attributes because I think God is everything. I mean, he's everything. So I put down loving, caring, compassionate, all powerful, all knowing, forgiving. And then I just say, God is everything. Um, those are the attributes that I need my God to have. And um, um, I found when I looked at my behavior, it was not consistent in what, um, what I believe. And um, I like the way you defined um, uh, trust, I don't know, wait a minute, I wrote it down, how you define faith and trust. Right. Faith being a decision, and I have made the decision, but the trust, the behavior is not consistent with the decision. Yeah. Um, I, I always knew that. I mean, I, I, I don't know that I was consciously, I'm as, I was as conscious as, of it as I am now, yeah. now we're really talking about it. So right. I appreciate that, and that for me, is a new experience. Yeah. We're always talking about having, you know, this new experience and this set aside, you know, so I'm, ha I'm having new experiences in that I'm looking at these things um, through a different lens. Yeah. But the other thing I wanted to ask you about was what we discussed last week. And I don't want to belabor the point, but I just really want, want to hear your thoughts on this because you talked about um, that God doesn't protect us. And you used the example of a hurricane. You know, the, if there's a hurricane, I'm not m miraculously lifted out of the hurricane and watched down and see it happen to everybody else. I'm in it. But her, when I was active in my addiction, 
and I put myself in harm's way and things didn't happen to me, I thought I was being protected. I thought I looked at that as being the grace of God sure. and somehow I was protected by God's grace. And in how it works, it even says that we asked his protection and care. So it's almost like that's a contradiction for me when you said that God doesn't protect us because I feel like he protects me. So is that me having trust, trusting that I believe that even though he's not really protecting me from things that happen in the world? I, 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 I'm, I'm struggling with that piece a little bit. Well, it's a wonderful question. And first of all, uh, pr protect us from nothing and supports us in everything isn't something that I created. It's something I heard that was very stimulating to me to think about as a confrontation. And I think it's true. Now, when you say that you were protected in, in your um, drinking or whatever using episodes, that's your story about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what about the 10 people around you that were maimed or went to jail or uh, deteriorated seriously because of addiction? Are you saying that you were the chosen child? No, I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't. No, but you are actually saying that. <laughs> okay, but I hadn't really gone that far with them, but maybe I was, you know, because, you know, we read this thing about the chosen one sometimes. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't go there. That's not in okay. the big book. Okay, that okay. So anyway. That okay. is okay. somebody's story, just like your story. I was protected by God. You can believe it, mm -hmm. but it's just a story. Okay. So, um, no, I don't, I don't know. I didn't know I was saying that, but I, you know, I guess I didn't give that much thought about what happened to other people, you know, who got things that, you know, like I did a lot of stuff and I didn't always get what I deserved. You well, know? And yeah. I don't know. That's why I said, I'm struggling with it. I'm trying to, you know, piece it together because the part that you said about it, it does make sense. Yeah. But when I look at my story, I feel like I was, I was in God's care and being protected. So I'm just trying to work through that piece. You know? I, I, I can't explain why you dodged a bullet and somebody else didn't. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I hear all the time in meetings this, this awful stuff. Oh, I was in a car accident and 10 people died and I didn't. God really loves me. Mm -hmm. Really? What about the other 10 slobs? I mean, so it's just stories that we make up about it to try to explain, but I, I don't know your story and why you didn't have a worse experience or didn't have a better experience. Uh, but all I'm saying is for you to come to grips with, well, what is it that you believe? All right, that's, I mean, so I'm, I'm not telling you, absolutely not telling you what to believe. I'm just saying, my sense is that there's evolution. I believe in evolution, the world evolution, ge geology, uh, animal evolution, and human evolution. And it's just, there's a, there's a laws of, of genetics that, that predetermine how long I'm going to live. God has nothing to do with that. Now, the decisions I make, the knowledge I have, the feelings I have, the actions that I take, 
those are all going to determine what my life is going to look like. And that's on me, not on God. Right, right. I, I mean, I understand that part. It's just like, um, you know, just trying to get it straight in my head, you know, because that's the first time I think I ever really heard anybody say, you know, God doesn't protect us and just trying to work it, work through it and, yeah. you know, what it means to me and how I just found it to be a little confusing. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I, you know, I, I would continue to reflect on it, come to your own decisions, but try not to be um, too literal about some of these words. For instance, I use very strongly and regularly the metaphor of a spiritual shield. Once we finish step nine, we have a spiritual shield. We're in orbit around the light I talk about so that the, we're protected, protected from the obsession. All right. So I'm just as likely to use the word protected in that context to describe the benefit of our way of life, steps 10, 11, and 12, which Bill says, as long as we do that on a daily basis, we are sustaining our spiritual life. Mm -hmm. So you just use the words as you want to use them, come to grips with your reality and, um, be very clear about what your what are stories, which really aren't valid, and what are decisions and the operating principles behind those decisions. That's really where we get to in steps 10, 11, and 12, is the clarity to make decisions based on principles and behave based on principles, knowing that there's a certain... I'll use the term karma, that there will be outcomes to my behavior. If I'm operating with integrity and honesty and fidelity, I'm going to have a very predictable, harmonious life. If I'm operating on just the opposite of those principles, I'm going to have predictably a very chaotic life. Did any of that made sense to you in, yes. in terms of our, our, our conversation? Uh -huh. It does. It does. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can use the word anybody, obviously. Protect in any way that you want, but just make sure that you're not creating a myth for yourself. Because mm -hmm. that's just a delusion about reality. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you, Herb. You bet. So yes, God equals reality. I had a big uh, chewing on of that one for a long time, brought it to my own spiritual director and just was sort of, um, I, I don't know. I don't know whether maybe her means the acceptance of reality. I mean, I've gone back and forth, back and forth, really having an experience. Um, with this, which I'm very grateful for. And um, last week, as I listened and heard people share about their God, I, I had to get on Friday night's call too, because I just wanted to listen and, and, and be filled. And I'm getting 
more to, um, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with, you know, about this protection and I'm trying to see the difference. I'm trying, I'm, and I'm wrestling with this. What is the difference between protection, the spiritual shield, the yeah. care of this God, all of that, right? right. Um, I'm just, so I'm sitting with that. Um, and then the other thing, as um, I think one of the gals shared, I also have that parachute metaphor, but my God says to me, <gasps> I'm at the top of the mountain take off the parachute <laughs> and I am like well I just I I, I I just might need it you don't need it take off the parachute so you know my behavior in against what I wrote this beautiful thing that I wrote is my two big things are fear and trust mm. fear and trust um and I was trying to be gentle, act as if, even if I can act as if, oh my God. So that's sort of where I am. That's a lot, but I've, been, I've just been <laughs> yeah. in a wrestling match, but it's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I can appreciate both aspects of that. Uh, using the parachute and then trusting the parachute as a metaphor for trusting sort of the tools and the way you've prepared yourself. But I also understand what you're saying there is, yeah, you, you just don't need all of these human mechanical things if you really trust me. Yeah. And yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's and, it. And, and really the, um, the existentialists in the 19th century, I don't know who it was, but they talked about the leap of faith, mm. the leap of faith from the bridge of reason to the shore of faith is kind of a leap. And I think I might have mentioned this previously, but my experience is I was willing to make that leap with the prayer. But what happened was before I had a chance to say the prayer, I experienced that I was on the shore. Mm. So it wasn't a leap at all. It was the hand of God in my metaphor. It was the hand of God that carried me to the shore from the bridge. Yes. And it was an experience in my meditation preparing for that third step that was very startling to me. In fact, as I had the experience, the thought came to me, Herb, did you have too much coffee this morning? <laughs> because it was that dramatic, you know what I mean? But yeah. I, that's why I say, and, and, and it was acknowledged earlier, that I make a decision to leap, I make a decision to go to the shore of faith, I make a decision to turn, but my experience is I was turned. Mm -hmm. I was taken to the shore of faith because mm -hmm. I'm powerless, even under step two, I'm powerless to make an effective decision or to have an effective leap. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. This, yeah. Sir, these are wonderful, how do you say, meanderings along the spiritual path. <laughs> yes, indeed. And, you know, I, I just one more thing. I mean, I've had, I get so frustrated, right? But I get, I mean, that's why they call it a practice. I've had those experiences where I've been just dumbfounded. Yeah. And like, but then, you know, I either slack off it, you know, with, and I, and I feel like that's, you know, I've had an experience. I lost abstinence last week, but, you know, I have this better awareness of, I can see where things were starting, where I was starting to slack off in my practice. And I think I was reading, I have to be vigilant. I have, yeah. I mean, I don't have to, it's a choice, but for me, things work better when I am, when I have my practice, yeah, because I find I'm down in the abyss, at, you know, and I've got nothing to grab onto. I'm like, shoot, here I am again. And, well, then I and, and that's the whole point in step 10, where Bill in the big book says, we're not cured. Yes. We have a daily reprieve. I know. Contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must create our vision of God's will and then use our will to align ourselves with that vision. Now, those are not words from the big book, but I'm paraphrasing it. Yep. Thank you, Herb. Well, um, in terms of the, you know, the attributes to God, um, a few days ago, I was walking the dog and as I'm walking the dog, all of a sudden I realized that, uh, an attribute, something of God that I really want is a sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> From out of nowhere, you know, it's like, wow. Also, humility, that is also kind of sort of uh, that this power to be humble. I think what's been really sort of unspoken, but certainly very clear and very uh, in the heart is this, but unspoken, this need for, a pow for power, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that's been very, I mean, I think certainly that's the, the strongest of them all, even though it's really unspoken. Um, so yeah, that's those are some of the, uh, the qualities of God. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is the discernment that I recommend. And then you can incorporate one or all of them in terms of your um, companion that you're choosing at this point in the journey, um, I'm asking everybody to make that choice between now, of course, and next week. The preparation for step three is signaled, I believe, in the assignment, and that is it's a decision for a relationship. Step two is a decision about the reality. Once you make the decision about the reality, then step three is a decision for a relationship with that reality. Thank you. And, 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 yeah, and, and I was pausing for just a minute, um, and that is a decision about what does your heart yearn for? I, I use that word very uh, intentionally because it's such a rich for me, soul penetrating word. What does my soul, my 
very essence yearn for in a relationship with reality, with power, with the universe, yearn. Does that work for you? Yeah, yeah. certainly, certainly, yeah. yeah. And certainly compassion is in there, you know, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, very key, yeah, yeah. You know, a question I have it really, and this is part of my experience is that I've had experiences in, um, in sobriety, abstinence, where God has removed the obsession and, and I've enjoyed that for five years, but then I chose to go back, for instance, like take a, take a drink, you know, and, and I still believe that that in a sense that that offers remains on the table, you know, that, that offer of God to, to remove the obsession. But, but certainly that is part of my experience where God has, where it's clearly been that God has removed the obsession, but I, I have gone back, you know, so yeah. yeah and, and, and so I'll, I'll use that as a platform to reinforce the message from the big book is we're not cured. Mm-hmm. You can get the freedom from your addiction. But unless you continue to make daily adjustments through inventory, step 10, through meditation and guidance, step 11, through helping other people as a way of life in step 12, unless you do that on a daily basis, you're going to have that dimmer switch go re- in the reverse direction. Yeah. You won't relapse the next day, but eventually the dimmer switch goes down, the lights go down and the darkness descends and you're back in the obsession. And I think that's what you were describing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Um. I, uh, on the listener call last week, you talked about um, yearn and look, to look up a definition of it, yeah. which I did. And it said it was an intense feeling of longing yeah. for typically something that has been lost. Nice. Nice. I like that. Yeah. So I've had to have it before at some point. Yeah. And I think that's the peace with my fellow man that I'm looking for yeah yeah and I feel I'm getting there Herb yeah wow but you did throw a curveball at me when you said when is God powerless yeah because I was and I I haven't been able to articulate that did you mean something deeper obviously Oh, yes, yes. In yes, fact, I, I wrote that, that went over my head, I'm afraid. Well, I don't mean to do that, but um, I wrote a, uh, some of these questions are so uh, energizing to me. They create an invitation for reflection. And I spent literally months thinking about and writing about and rewriting. And I wrote this meditation on that very subject, When Is God Powerless? And it's one of a series that will be sent to you if you haven't received it already. And that is um, a a series of about five reflections on God. And uh, as I recall, 
the, the reflection went something like, when is God powerless? God is powerless to not be God. And what is God then by at least my feeble attempts to understand the nature of this reality? God is unconditional love. Yeah. God is powerless to not be unconditionally loving. That's sort of where I ended up with that three-page reflection, I think. Does that help? Very much so. Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, it's so comforting to believe and live as if that's true. As I say, God doesn't come and go. God doesn't reward and punish. God doesn't give and take. There's only one, one, only one attribute of God. God's very essence is unconditional loving, always loving, always present, always manifesting that unconditional creative love. And when I think that way, it's kind of like, oh, and then the two words that I may have mentioned them, especially maybe in the listener's call, the two words that I'm toying with right now and writing some reflections on is magnetic and radiance. This yearning of mine is an, a magnetic draw to the center of my very being, the soul of my soul. And the radiance that comes from that center is my desire, organic desire to help other people. Mm-hmm. And again, that's a reflection of what Genesis captures in the words image and likeness. Oh, right. God made humans in God's image and likeness. God yeah, yeah. and female. That's that knowing and willing that radiance and that magnetic uh, sort of dynamic energy. Yeah, I don't want to get too philosophical. <laughs> no, it's lovely. Yes, that's yeah. very helpful. All right. But yeah. in response to your, uh, your question and prompting. Yeah. Anything, Thank you. Anything else, Mary? No, no, that's fine. All right. Thank you. That that was way outside the scope of the big book, by the way. (laughs) Sorry for the spontaneity um, in one sense. Happy to have it in another. One one of the words um, I never heard of before until this workshop was alteredism. That means selflessness. And that led me to um, a journey about unconditional love. And I, I guess what I decided is that the only place true, the pure meaning of that is with God. Yes. Because people in our human condition can't reach those states. We can move towards it, but we cannot obtain it to that pure form. So that motivates me even to be more um, mindful uh, and conscious, and I love that word you use, unpack. I've been doing that since I heard that word. Um, you know, I just, I don't let things just go by anymore. I take a look at it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, when you first said it, I said, what's he mean by unpack? You know, but as you keep listening, you, you figure it out. It's, I believe that 
uh, the spirit leads us into all truth. And for me, that has been true. I know I'm in the right place doing the right thing. Um, the one, the other thing is when I hear something, I've been unpacking it, not just let it go through. Um, I heard in a meeting, um, get a better perspective on your life. So I started looking at that. What, what better perspective do I need on my life? And that brought up a lot of stuff that I had to start looking at, uh, which has been helpful for me. There, I, there was one other thing too uh, that I didn't really recognize. And that was, they say there's 10 tools. However, on the workshop, I thought that those tools is recovery. And I come to realize, no, it's work in the 12 steps. That's where the recovery is. So my focus has been more on the steps. And if I think about it, um, the Bible has truths that really come right from the 12 steps. So when he or developed maybe that. It's, yeah, maybe it's the reverse of that. May, maybe, <laughs> maybe so. I never thought of that. Yeah. But um, I'm paying more attention to the steps now. I'm integrating them more in my life. Yeah. And I'm getting great rewards from it yeah. uh, by that. So the 10 items that you talked about as tools, the steps are just one of the tools. And I'm assuming that some of the components of the 10 steps are part of the components of the 12 steps. Yeah, the, the, the 10 tools are, are including some of the 12 steps. I'm, I'm assuming there's a correlation between them. Well, I'll have to take a look at that. I'll unpack that, Herb. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm assuming for, as an example, and I don't know what the 10 items are, and I'm not asking, by the way, but one of the items I think might be a quiet time. Yup, and sponsorship. Yeah, but stay with the quiet time. That's really step 11. Wow. That's, that's, well, at least that would be my interpretation and my understanding yeah. of the purpose of quiet time would be step 11 in some form, prayer and meditation. Um, one of the things I hear all the time, no matter what meeting I'm in or who I'm talking to, that sponsorship, helping others, that's how you, that, that, um, when you help others, that's service. And that's what keeps uh, your addiction at bay. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's one of the ways that we, prov we, we grow in our spiritual life. And I want to just modify The answer is yes. And sponsorship isn't the synonym for helping. Sponsorship is one of the ways of helping because there's lots of ways that we can help inside and outside of the program. The, the uh, original manuscript of uh, step uh, 12 said, having had a spiritual experience as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others, especially alcoholics. 
they changed that, but it gave us the spirit of it's helping everybody, but especially the addict in our fellowship. So having a 24-7 attitude of help with a special focus and priority on the people with the similar addiction. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, ma it makes total sense. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that my, since I was a child, I always had that um, desire or what's uh, yearning to um, help people. And I never knew where that came from. And then when I got into recovery, I thought, oh, well, that's just my um, codependency. Um, but I found that um, I get great benefits when I help someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The two ingredients for happiness, according to the psychological and sociological surveys and studies, the two ingredients to happiness is one, to have a connection to a context and meaning bigger than ourselves and to provide help to the people around us. Wow. Yeah. Has okay. nothing to do with program, has nothing to do with spirituality, has everything to do with how we're built as human beings. Yeah. Th thanks, sir. Thank you so much for the conversation. Thanks. Right now I'm in shock that you use the word magnetic and, rad and radiance because... I my writing yesterday morning, first thing at five o'clock in the morning, as I wrote about alignment and radiance and magnetism being drawn, um, magnetism, magnetism of the good. It was what I was writing about yesterday morning. Yeah. And the way I got there <laughs> was, um, so I'm working on step two and reading, uh, you know, I was reading nine through 16 and, and saw a very, a lot of similarity in Bill's story. My addiction when I um, I had a kind of a mountaintop experience in that when I surrendered my obsession and compulsion for both food and alcohol went away immediately um, was if I smelled alcohol I was repulsed yeah. I could I think I walked into a bakery the next day could smell it and go oh that smells good but and I haven't you, you have uh, just made the resentment list of many people on the floor. <laughs> Well, okay, and now I'll unresent them because, <laughs> because I'm human and the rest of the story, that might have been quick. The, the growing spiritually has been slow, has been the dimmer switch right. and up and down and all around. So I, I realized in step two, the more I worked on it, is that it really is not my lack of faith because I can look back at that moment and go, if my higher power can do, take care of my addiction, my higher power can do anything. <laughs> so, exactly. um, so it's not my lack of faith. Um, I got to the, this, this alignment with radiance and magnetism with um, it's my, my conditioned mind with how I, how the world, my worldview is conditioned and my responses to those conditions and, um, and how does that change? And, you know, I, I know, that's all the grace of God, but that's that's the slower part of me. That's that's definitely not the mountaintop experience of me. Um, and I, you know, I, I I know I don't know the whole story, but I struggle. Uh, one of my obstacles, and this is how I got to this magnetism and radiance and alignment, was my struggle is that I want an interventionist God. 
you know, I want you to intervene. <laughs> you did on this when I asked, you know, and, um, and my sponsor helped me along with that one was that if you have an interventionist, interventionist God, then, you know, really the other coin of that is that you have a capricious higher power. Mm. You know, you have one, you know, a higher power that, you know, if you have a two parents with a child who's sick and one child dies and the other one doesn't, but both are praying as eagerly for an intervention, right. then you have a capricious. And, and I, I had a capricious childhood. I didn't know walking in the door if I was going to be hugged or slapped and yeah. <laughs> for what reason. Right. Um, so I definitely don't need that in a higher power. You know, so, you know, what I needed was, was the love to feel directed, yeah. to feel guided, to feel a companionship. Yeah. And I am drawn to goodness. Yeah. And that's what I'm, what I, that's what I resonate with. And so that's what I need from a higher power. And I, you know, I do need to feel safe. Yeah. And I have that in my life in different areas of my life. I don't have that totally, but I have it in areas. And I know that, you know, if I just practice being in the present moment, I'm there, but I'm human. You know, I can be conscious one moment and very aware. And the next moment I'm sleeping and unconscious. And so I'm, I'm just human. It goes up, it goes down. And, um, but I am, I know that I'm drawn to this. This is what I was writing about was this. And, um, and that's what I, I work for. That's where I know it's like, this is what I want. You know, I want a spiritual path. It just happens to be one of the, the 12 steps. I happen to be an addict. <laughs> uh, yeah, right, right, right. So one of my teachers speaking, you said uh, goodness uh, reminded me uh, is a uh, father Thomas Keating, who was a Trappist monk. He died about two or three years ago. And um, he talked about in, in centering prayer, the contemplative practice that all human beings have a core of goodness. All human beings have a core of goodness. That's a, the term that a lot of people would use as spirit or soul or uh, that uh, spark of the divine. He uses the term core of goodness. And when I was playing with the words uh, of magnetic and, and um, radiance, it had come from my thinking about the human organism, a physical organism of the breathing in and breathing out and of the heart pump processing the uh, blood in and out of the heart as sort of those biological functions, which I then, uh, in a poetic, metaphorical way, took into the spiritual function of the magnetic and the radiance. So you could play with that also. <laughs> I, I was already playing when you were you know, what does my soul yearn for? I started playing with that. And, you know, it was like the peace and the serenity. I want the innocence and the wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm sure I had that at some point as a child because I watched it in my grandkids. That's one of the things I love watching in little children is the wonder and the innocence. Right, right, right. Which reminds me of 
translation in the Hebrew scripture uh, into the words fear of God. And as I've done a little bit of background checking on that, it's a mistranslation. The actual words in Aramaic should be translated the awe of God. Oh, rather than the fear of God. And that's such a huge difference. Big difference. Huge difference. And it explains a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it does. Yeah. I, I liked what you were, you know, were talking about. It really kind of stimulated me to think about what is, how do I know what is God's will? And so I, I did a little bit of... Uh, like discerning, you know, in a daily meditation, um, like to improve my conscious contact with God. And then I think um, that that will, I have to ask God for that discernment or light to, to know what God's will is for me. But logically, in my own mind, I know, I think I know what God's will would be because it would be self-care because that makes sense so that I can can actually be alive and functioning to do God's will. Like I, other might even be here. Um, then the other one too, for me was, um, you know, I go back to God's commandment or in the Bible and what I was raised with was love God and love others. Um, but logically, I know that if I don't, like it has, says nothing in there about loving myself, but logically I know that if I don't love myself, I can't love others. So again, I, it comes down to um, God having to teach me how to love myself by possibly being in his presence, you, you know, so that I can actually get that because I, I know to take care of myself. I know this in, intellectually, I know, but I don't do it. So there's something amiss. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so that was, I just wanted to share that was what I was saying. Um, but the other thing too, is, uh, I, like I went to an addictions counselor a long time ago and she had on her wall, um, or she said, you know, it was on the wall and it was said, uh, most people change not because they see the light, but because they feel the heat. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I do not want to feel any more heat. Like I don't want to have any more suffering, but obviously maybe that is about, that's why step one is so critical to get that under my belt, um, to moving into this step two. Certainly in early recovery and in, or in early part of a journey on a spiritual path, a lot of the uh, mm -hmm. energy comes from attempting to avoid suffering and pain. And eventually, however, mm. it converts over to that attraction that we're pulled in a magnetic sense toward the light rather than running from the darkness, pulled toward the solution rather than running from the pain and the problem. So I, I think mm -hmm, there, mm -hmm. there's a crossover point at some, some place in our own personal journey. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing too, that I realized, which I've talked, I think I mentioned to you before, I think when we were doing, I did a partial uh, four with column three and four, but realizing that the unwillingness that I have to change is rooted in self-centeredness, which of course is the human condition or, you know, my wanting my own way. 
But I also realize that I'm powerless to change this. Um, and I need to pray for the willingness because I am obviously not willing. So I, it's that comes back to the powerlessness again and recognizing that this power that I say I believe in is the one that's going to have to make me change. And, and like you said, have, have that grace to take me there to be, but all, I guess all I need to do is be willing. Like you said, I love what you said, like, you know, how you, you were willing to do what you had to do. Yeah. You didn't know you were going to be changed or, or that anything else was going to happen, but you, you cooperated with God. I'm trying to just cooperate. That, with that, prob that word probably really does uh, really capture that, that mm -hmm. of grace and willingness. And it's the, the cooperation. Uh, yeah. I, I like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That term. So um, I had a little bit of trouble with choosing attributes and qualities. Um, I wrote some stuff down, but through this process with you and this workshop, I realized that, you know, it's my expectations on people, things, and God that created my unmanageability, which manifested itself as an addiction. So now that you're asking me to choose these attributes and qualities, I can't help but feel fearful that I'm putting expectations on God again. Um, I really just like reality. I just like when you, you know, you use that word. And to me, it's like, God is what God is. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's the raw, honest truth all the time. And that's really where I'm just kind of stuck. That's all I want is the, the truth all the time. And why are you thinking that's not a good thing? I just don't know. Is it enough? <laughs> it feels like enough, but I'm just... Why don't you experiment with it? Okay. It sounds, it sounds to me like it's more than enough. Okay. It sounds to me like a, a seed that when planted and nourished is really going to flourish into something as an experience. I, I would just Im hold that and embrace that. The raw, honest truth. Wow. I love the raw part, quite frankly. Right. Me too. Um, thank you. So I will hold on to that. And, and something else that kind of struck me when we were talking about the protection. I was trying to think of what, what would God protect me from? It says it in the book, protects. And so I thought, what would God protect me from? And the only thing I could think of is a relationship with God or power protects me from myself really from my self-centeredness that i think that's the the correct interpretation when i use the term shield okay yeah that it shields us that's the grace that's the gift that shields us maybe heals us even heals us from that false self that masquerade and uh protects us from the obsession that comes from unregulated self-centeredness. Because that's what Bill says, and somebody mentioned earlier on about vigilance. And uh, that's the term I use for step 10. Mm 
vigilance. Because Bill says in the book, watch for, watch for selfishness, self-centeredness, resentment, fear, and dishonesty. Watch for. So the step 10 is the invitation to stay awake, to pay attention to the emotions that we have, the feelings that we have as signals to us when we're out of alignment. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you, everybody. Wow, what a great conversation. Um, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference.